Our text is James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. NASA designed the, the Mars Climate Orbiter as the first interplanetary weather satellite. So this was in 1998. Um, the $125 million probe was launched in 1999, and it was maybe six months later the, the program terminated when the climate orbiter burned to a crisp in the Martian atmosphere. The NASA team didn't intend for it to enter the atmosphere. They were trying to maneuver it into a sustainable orbit. In the project review, NASA discovered what caused the trouble. Its engineers used metric units, but a software developer that they contracted used United States customary units, like imperial units. The probe and the $125 million it cost went down in flames because in the word of, of their internal investigation, of a failed translation of English units into metric units in a piece of ground software. Now the software engineers that they contracted, they probably did their math perfectly. They, I'm, I'm sure they double and triple checked their calculations, which came out right every time. The trouble was that they assumed one kind of measurement when another one was called for. Is a costly miscalculation. In our text today, James warns his, his readers against deceiving themselves. The word that he uses today in our text is different from the other two words that the NIV translates as deceive in the same chapter. This one has the idea of a miscalculation error. James says, you'll miscalculate your situation if you measure in units of hearing only. God's measuring in units of doing. Some things are more valuable than $125 million space probes. You, for instance. Errors regarding a life are more costly. Let's read our text. This is James chapter 1, verses 23 through 27. This is the NIV 84. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious, by the way, the, the people in the early church avoided the word religion uh, nearly all the time. The, the word's only used in this text and in one other text in the New Testament. And they avoided the word religion because they knew, like I know, that there are all kinds of false um, connotations regarding religion. They didn't talk about religion generally. Here James says, if anyone considers himself religious and yes, doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion's worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So James is deeply troubled by the possibility that Jesus' people, whom he loves deeply, will be deceived 
by others, which is bad, or by themselves, which is even worse. Here he focuses on self-deception. This sentence could be translated this way, become word doers, not just word hearers who miscalculate their situation. We can be outstanding word hearers and appalling word doers. We can take notes on the sermon, go to Bible studies, read commentaries. We can study the Bible's original languages, go to seminary, get straight A's. And those are good things to do. James would never deny that. What he does deny in the strongest terms is that doing those things is enough. Hearing needs to be converted into doing. Just as the Mars Orbiter software needed to be converted from English to metric units. If we don't do the work of converting what we hear into what we do, we're going to experience loss. We might even burn up as we enter the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven. Without a doubt, James had Jesus' words in his mind as he wrote this. I know that because he has Jesus' words in his mind as he writes the whole letter and they keep coming out. Perhaps he was thinking of what Jesus said when he and his brothers and his mother went to see Jesus. This is in Mark chapter 3. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He may also have had in mind Jesus' wrap-up of the Sermon of the Mount. James knew the sermon remarkably well, and it comes out over and over again in this letter. Here he might be thinking what Jesus said in the wrap-up when he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not just hearing, doing. We don't see it in the NIV, but verse 23 begins with a conjunction, the word because. Because. So let me read the, with verse 22. Become word doers, not just word hearers, who miscalculate their situation because anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, we need to break that down a little bit. Word hearers who are not also word doers will miscalculate their situation. They'll deceive themselves. They'll be like a guy who looks at himself in a mirror, looks himself over, then goes off and forgets, literally, what kind of guy he is. That's how the Greek puts it. He forgets what kind of guy he is. So... Let me picture this for you. Here's a 45-year-old father of three. His hair's thinning. His waist is thickening. He looks like he hasn't had enough sleep in about a decade. His clothes, however, are cool. Or they were three years ago, right? He was aware of all of that when he looked at himself in the mirror this morning. But he forgot it all when he went into the coffee shop this afternoon and saw a group of 20-something women hanging out. Totally forgot the middle-aged, paunchy, minivan-driving, bleary-eyed father of teenagers he'd seen in the mirror. However, what he forgot, those young women could see perfectly clearly. He had miscalculated his situation, which is the error into which the word hearer, who is not a word doer, falls He forgets what sort of person he is. He imagines God sees him one way when God sees him very differently. 
When James was writing, most people didn't have access to mirrors. Can you imagine? Most people didn't have a mirror in the first century. Think about what it would be like if you only saw your reflection once a week or maybe once a month, maybe once every few months. You saw yourself in a mirror. Most mirrors were very small. They were handheld pieces of polished metal. A person who saw himself in that little thing this morning but had only seen himself once in the past two months might well forget what he looked like. And because he sees other people much more frequently than he sees himself, he might assume that he's just like them. He might forget what kind of guy he is. It's a serious thing for the person who has been born, this is verse 18, through the word of truth to forget what kind of person he is. People who belong to Jesus have been given a new birth, a new spirit, and a new purpose. They're not like everyone else. You get that, right? If you belong to Christ, you're not like everyone else. If they forget who they are and they act like everyone else, their effectiveness in God's kingdom will be compromised, their joy will be sapped, and their hope, their hope will disappear like the Cheshire Cat and Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. Just fade away. That's why the Bible so often tells us to remember. Remember. Remember what you were. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done. Remember to obey. Remember the words the Lord spoke to us. Remember what we've received and heard. Now, I'm a forgetful guy. I see you nodding your head. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the absent-minded professor, except I forgot I'm not a professor. And I've been this way my entire life. My grandmother used to say to me, if you're like this at 16, what are you going to be like when you're my age? And the answer is just the same. I'll give you an example. I knew there was something going on this week, but never really figured it out what it was until it was too late. You know what it was? Valentine's Day. Yeah. And our grandkids gave us Valentine cards the day before. And, and I was writing a column on married love, and yet somehow <laughs> I did not put this together. You can send sympathy cards to my wife. <laughs> she, she didn't get a Valentine's Day card, so you can send sympathy cards. James doesn't want us to be absent-minded. He wants us to remember who we are, who God is, and what we have to do. But we can be as absent-minded about those things as I was about Valentine's Day. We must get better at remembering. But how do we do that? I'm a guy who struggled with that my whole life. By becoming doers of the word. When we're actually doing the word, we will not forget who we are, who God is, what we're here to do. James has been talking about the word of God all along since verse 18. But in verse 25, he introduces new terminology to describe it. It is the perfect law that gives freedom. Or the, the finished law, the perfected law of freedom. See, that's not how we're conditioned to think. We think of law. Just the word. We think of it as something that inhibits our freedom, that prevents us from doing things, like driving 90 miles per hour, which we would otherwise do. But this, this law, 
the perfect or finished or completed law that James has in mind doesn't inhibit us. It does just the opposite. It frees us. Now, when James talks about the law, he has in mind the revealed will of God in the Old Testament as completed and made clear by Jesus. For James, Jesus' word is law. And he's always thinking about what Jesus said. But instead of restricting us, this word liberates us. And that's because it was given with us, with the way God designed us in mind. The word fits us. It opens us up to a way of life that we wouldn't otherwise know, to become our true selves, to achieve optimal performance. This perfect law that James is talking about is to us what a railroad track is to a train. Now, we may think this law inhibits us. Instead, it opens a way for us that we would never otherwise reach. Just think how far a train would go without a track. About as far as we go if we leave the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, I'll give you an example. Jesus said, love your enemies. James takes that as law. Jesus said it. That's a command. That's a law. What do we think when we hear that? When it comes to a real enemy, we think, I can't do that. And either we stall out in unbelief or we run off the rails in resentment. But if we counted on Jesus' help and did what he told us to do, a beautiful new side of life would open up before us. We would experience more be more, we'd find ourselves freer than ever before, free to be ourselves, to go places in the world we'd never otherwise be able to reach. In verse 25, James writes of looking into the perfect law that gives freedom and continuing to do this. This is not a glance or a peep. The word translated looks into means to bend down. It's used repeatedly in the Gospels of that first Easter morning when, when St. Peter, when Mary Magdalene bent down to look into the tomb. When I was in college, we had a professor. I don't know if he's even teaching classes anymore. He's probably in his early 80s at the time, um, who was highly intelligent, had a photographic memory, and in his old age retained a great sense of curiosity. And one day he was walking along, came to a, a the uh, stump of an ancient tree that had just been cut down. And he bent down to count the rings. That's the idea in this word. To reposition oneself in order to see what one would otherwise miss. If you want to see and continue to see what the perfect law is, you must reposition yourself. From proud to humble. From boss to servant. And the way to do that, to reposition yourself, is to do what God has spoken to you. To forgive someone who wronged you. To give to someone in need. To admonish someone in sin. To love someone with whom you disagree. Whatever God has spoken. When you do what God has said, you will be blessed in what you do, or literally, in your doings. Yet another echo of Jesus. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You're not just blessed because you know them. Now look again at verse 25. 
But the man who looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. Notice that the man who doesn't forget is not a person who racks his brain to remember, but a person who does what he can to obey. There's a world of difference there. People whose faith is all in their heads are ones who forget and end up self-deceived. James understands that faith, if it's real, is going to work its way out in our lives. In verse 26, he introduces three proven ways that happens. And I say introduces because these three ways that he introduces, starting in verse 26, by our speech, by our intervention on behalf of the helpless, and by our moral purity, will become major themes as the letter goes on. Look at verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Here's a person who considers himself religious. Maybe that's you. I I got a letter from an atheist this week. And um, he's read my column somewhere and he wrote. And... He said, you're a smart guy. Maybe you'll get this. You know, I thought, yeah, okay. Um, and I told him, because he's telling me, you should read this person. He's, he's religious, but he's not crazy like, you know, you are kind of thing. And, and I wrote back and told him, well, I'm not religious. And whenever I say that, people think, oh, man, he's a pastor. He's not religious. He must be a hypocrite. No, there's something more than religion here. There's God in obedience to Jesus Christ who gave his life for us and is bringing his kingdom. At any rate, uh, here's a person who considers himself religious, but once again is deceived. James uses a different word for deceived here. This guy's religion is worthless, or more literally, literal translation, it's vain, which is a word that the Old Testament uses repeatedly to describe, do you know what? idolatry. For James, any religion that doesn't work itself out in obedience to God's word is a kind of idolatry, like Artemis worship or Baal worship. The person in verse 26 is a word here. He he or she's in church on Sundays, maybe a ministry volunteer, even thought about going to Bible college once upon a time. But when it comes to the things that Jesus and his apostles taught about speech, he or she's not a word doer. She knows the references. She can tell you where to find in the Bible. Maybe he can quote the verse, but they don't do them. They don't keep a tight rein on their tongues. James says if we don't keep a tight rein on, literally if we don't bridle our tongues, our religion is vain. What does it mean to bridle your tongue? It means your tongue doesn't go wherever it will, but wherever it's directed. It doesn't run wild. doesn't gossip. A sin the Bible unequivocally condemns. If you think gossip's a little sin, you need to read the Bible. Doesn't speak about people in derogatory ways. Doesn't speak to elevate self above others. Doesn't pile on words or twist them in an attempt to get one's way. James says that people who do such things are deceived about their religion. It's idolatry. 
Now, he'll have much more to say about how we talk. That's one of the major themes of this letter. But right now, he's just introducing it as an example of doing the word. And he gives two other examples, which he's also going to develop as we go on. So I'm just going to just hit them briefly. Watching over orphans and widows and keeping oneself unspotted from being polluted by the world. In the first century, orphans and widows were not just poor, they were helpless. There were poor, and then there were orphans and widows. They were unable to earn a wage and could not take care of themselves. Jesus, the apostles, and the prophets before them insist we take care of such people. As society has changed, the plight of widows has changed, but our duty to help those who can't help themselves has remained the same. We don't get out of that. We may need to identify who those people are in a new way today, but that's incumbent upon us. That's one way that faith works itself out in life. Another way is to keep ourselves unspotted by the world. Now, people feel, and I think it's a feeling diabolically introduced and subtly cultivated in our culture. People feel that this talk about keeping yourself unspotted by the world is old-fashioned. Somehow, in our day, we've outgrown it. The world knows better now. That is self-deception taken to the nth degree. There are various kinds of pollutions, as James well knew. In our age, that pollution is often spread along waves of entertainment and social media. And one form is sexual pollution. The idea is out there that a person can be spiritually authentic and sexually immoral at the same time. That idea has gained wide popularity. It is a deception. And then there's, that's not the only kind of pollution. There's greed pollution, about which James was keenly aware and deeply concerned, and saved some of his harshest words for people who have been captivated by greed. There is hate pollution. It blows this way and that against races, against political parties, against men, against women, against men for being men, against women for not being men. And it just destroys. These kinds of pollution affect our spiritual health, and they do a particular kind of thing to us when we're exposed to them. They trigger a kind of spiritual dementia, which causes us to forget who we are, what kind of persons we are, who God is and what he's done and what we're here to do. It leads us to be word hearers and not word doers. There's something we can do to prevent spiritual dementia. If God has spoken a word to you and you've not done anything about it, it might have been last week in the sermon on anger, it might have been 20 years ago. Rethink your response and do what you know you should do. Maybe it's in regard to a relationship, it might have something to do with something you once did wrong and you knew it was wrong and you need to seek forgiveness. It might be about something that was right for you to do and you knew it was right for you to do, but you declined to do it. Maybe God's speaking something to you right now. Do it. Otherwise, you will end up deceiving yourselves. This isn't serious. If God has spoken to you, do it. Do what he says. Let me close with an illustration. Imagine that a vaccine is released that will immunize a person against every form of cancer. 
This is going to work. So, so we're just imagining, right? And imagine that it, it, it's taken in two stages, an initial inoculation followed by a booster. If you receive that first stage vaccination, but you don't go back for the booster within some time frame, the likelihood you will get cancer actually increases. In fact, it becomes all but certain. So you'd be better off not to do anything than take half the treatment. That's the way it is with God's word. Hearing is the first stage, and it's absolutely imperative. It can make all the difference in the world, but unless we follow up with the second stage, with doing, we'll be worse off than we were to begin with. Have you heard God speak to you? Do what he says. Let's pray. I'll give you a moment to talk to the Lord about this. Thank you for speaking your word to me, to us. You gave us birth through the word of truth. You grow us through your word. You free us by your word. Your word lights our way. Your word feeds our souls. Now, Lord, help us to do your word. In Christ's name, amen.